This episode of the Slash Filmcast is brought to you by Casper Mattresses. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash filmcast and using promo code filmcast at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is also brought to you by HelloFresh. Please visit HelloFresh.com and use the promo code FILMCAST30 to save $30 off your first week of deliveries when you subscribe. Hello everyone and welcome to the Slash Filmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen and with me are... Devendra Hardwar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show everyone. Uh, what we do here on this podcast typically is we talk about what we've been watching, we move on into a discussion of some film news that's been going on this week, and then we conclude with an in-depth review. This week we'll be reviewing American Made uh, with writer Lindsay Romain. So looking forward to talking about that movie with Lindsay uh, but before we get to that, uh, a few things I just want to mention. First of all, you can find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. You can email us at SlashFilmCast at gmail.com. And uh, I feel we would be remiss if we didn't mention that there are just a lot of things going on in the world right now. Take your pick of whatever is going on. But I think it's safe to say that, you know, for me personally, and I'm sure for you guys as well, 2017 from a news consumer's perspective, has been a festival of horrors. There's not a day that goes by where I haven't been emotionally crushed by something happening in the news. And uh, during this time, I have personally struggled mightily with how we should run this podcast. Uh, Should we use our platform to comment on all the stuff going on? Should we continue to offer people escapism and a celebration of what we love about pop culture and entertainment? I don't think there's actually a right answer to that question. I think there's value in both approaches. Um, But overall, we've definitely settled on the latter approach, where we kind of just try to have fun around here uh, and comment on all the stuff that we usually comment on. But just because we're doing that, uh, it doesn't mean that we're not thinking about all the people whose lives are affected by these daily tragedies that we read about. It doesn't mean that we're not processing them and and trying our best to figure out how we can make a difference in our own lives. Uh, So all that being said, we're going to try to have some fun today. But that doesn't mean that we're not thinking about all of you and hoping that you are okay. So just wanted to say that at the top of the show. Most definitely. And honestly, you know, there are things people can do, too. If you feel helpless and powerless amidst uh, this insanity, there, there are a lot of things. Um, if you work for a company that matches donations and you you want to help out with uh, the hurricane in Puerto Rico and the recovery there, see if your company will help out with that, too. But also donate, help. Um if you care about gun violence, you can call your representatives, just like people were doing for healthcare. It's all important. Yeah, and if you're in Las Vegas, you can donate blood. You know, like there's yep. there's a lot of things uh, people can do. Um, Jeff, I know you know you you run a few other podcasts, and this has probably been a topic that you've struggled with as well, right? Yes, uh, uh, mightily, as you said. Um, it is, you know, obviously not a not about me. There are people who are suffering much much more profoundly than I in all parts of the world right now. But when I wake up and read about these things, I, my first thought is how the hell do I do my job today? And I'm sure many people think that it. Mm-hmm. Right. Cause, as, Cause your job, like most your full-time living is basically 
entertaining people and like commenting on you know uh, talking about pretty frivolous yeah, stuff fun in the things, grand scheme right? of things yeah, yeah bringing trying to bring joy to people's lives basically yeah and um you know and and as as much of a tragedy as this these things are these global disasters and these mass shootings and all kinds of what have you they are profoundly impactful to the people that are at the center of them and i can't approach that kind of pain and and suffering but i think they affect all of us these are psychic traumas as well to everyone and so we all share in that pain to us to a certain degree and i think what you said is is something that i definitely struggle with uh what where do you place that line between um addressing it and talking about it like we are now or providing people a quote-unquote escape and i think for me for me my personal choice as a creator is to do both and I refuse, and many, many, many people have have uh, written to me and said they are no longer listening to this show or that show of mine for this reason. But for me, it is uh, a worthy sacrifice to lose some listeners here or there because I refuse to separate the, the two. I refuse to separate one part of my life from another. I don't think they are separatable. Uh, I think that I bring my whole self uh, to any kind of endeavor and if I'm going to be talking about movies or I'm going to be talking about video games or I'm going to be talking about anything, I am a product of where I am at that time and what I've experienced and the stresses and pressures. And just as much as I will tell a story about my family or my childhood or the movie that I fell in love with when I was eight, I'm also going to be affected by the thing that I read on the news this morning and the things that are consuming my fears and anxieties and hopes and dreams in modern news culture. So the idea of being able to sort of arbitrarily separate those things and say, only talk about movies or only talk about video games, I find to be a false premise mm-hmm. and not one I'm interested in at all. So I think people should be aware that we're going to, at least I, I'll just speak to myself, I'm going to bring all of that stuff to what we're talking about. And it may frustrate people when I say, hey, you know, um, Watching a uh, uh, what's the Keanu movie? When John I Wick. Critic- yeah, watching a John Wick right after a mass shooting was hard for me. I can only speak from the honest place of that moment, right? So that's what's going to happen, and it may turn some people off. But I say so be it because that's all I can do. Yeah, and Jeff, you know, you fully have our support in in that, and you know, it's not as though we never talk about the things going on in the world on this podcast. You know, it's just like it has just been a challenge of what to focus on and and what aspects uh, of our thinking uh, on world events to bring through uh, during the show. And so, uh, right. of course, we're always open to your feedback, uh, always open to your your uh, thoughts on how we should approach things. You can always email us at slash at gmail dot com. But we're doing our best to strike a balance. And uh, hopefully uh, enough people find that satisfying enough to continue listening. So all that being said, uh, let's move on and talk about uh, the the stuff we do best on the show, which is stuff that is of no consequence to anyone. Speaking of which, Avatar. So (laughs) we got dozens of tweets this weekend when Saturday Night Live in its season premiere devoted, I want to say, a four-minute sketch to... (laughs) Papyrus, the font that is used 
in the James Cameron film Avatar. And to be clear, the sketch is about the font. Yeah, not, it, not yeah. really the movie. Well, okay, sure, okay. So, so here's the thing. Here, here's the thing. For many, many months, for many months, Devendra Hardwar and myself, David Chen, have argued vehemently that Avatar is not culturally relevant, uh, and that this this is a movie that you know, to quote like Scott Mendelson, the film critic and writer, uh, was one of the biggest movies of all time, but seemingly left no cultural footprint whatsoever. And it was the biggest movie of all time, right? Yeah, the biggest movie yes. of all time, and left seemingly no cultural footprint, right? And and Devendra and I have argued not culturally relevant, and I, I I can't speak for Devendra, but for me, one big piece of evidence for whether something is culturally relevant or not is whether it is lampooned on Saturday Night Live or not, huh. right? And huh. this was the weekend where Avatar was finally lampooned on Saturday Night Live. I forgot about it for years, but then I remembered that Avatar, the giant international blockbuster, used the papyrus font as its logo. Avatar, the movie from like nine years ago? Yeah, he just highlighted Avatar, he clicked the drop-down menu, and then he just randomly selected papyrus, like a, like a thoughtless child just wandering by a garden, just yanking leaves along the way and so now you're worried about the sequels that are coming out they're making more In i would venture to say there's been an avatar sketch before now they're, they they there, there were dressed up there in definitely blue were costumes before now i believe they have I, I think they've done that i don't this is not lampooning avatar like specifically <laughs> this is a great sketch <sighs> because it is about the, well, I don't know if you want to explain it more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, just, so the sketch is about it. Ryan Gosling plays uh, just a random dude who is obsessed with the graphic designer who made the Avatar papyrus font, right? And but, uh, well, no, no, no. Reason. The one who made the Avatar logo using papyrus, a pre-existing font in Windows. It's the sheer right. laziness of that act. That's what the sketch is about. The sketch the, is not about the movie. That being but, said, that okay, being said, uh, you know, just to be clear, <laughs> as someone points out in the sketch, uh, the font has clearly been modified. So it's not yes, exactly right, yes. papyrus, the, but the, yes, it's pretty close. It's pretty There's close. nothing less less interesting than dissecting comedy, but I will say the only reason that this sketch works is because his position is that this movie is so big and so important uh-huh. and there's such a big budget. Uh-huh. How could they possibly just go with a standard <laughs> off the off the shelf font? That's that's true. the joke. The joke uh, doesn't work. Uh, actually, if it's Jeff, I some submit movie to you. You've never heard of uh, hmm? Jeff. I submit to you that that is not the joke. The joke yeah. is that but no one wrong. gives a shit about Avatar, and if this was like. Um, the font in a Marvel film, it would not be nearly uh, as funny because people the, the actually one, people actually know and like Marvel films. The one reference to the actual movie in the sketch is uh, is uh, the wife character saying, you, you mean that movie from 2009? Like that's <laughs> that's the extent to which she refers to the movie. He's obsessed about I think the what's funny about the sketch is that it's everything we're talking about. How could a movie so huge? So the biggest movie ever leaves such a small footprint. His obsession is how could the biggest movie ever use a cheap ass font? Like that that is that's the ultimate joke there for me. Hmm. Right, hmm. but th- that doesn't that doesn't mean the movie didn't have that the, that doesn't mean that the joke can exist in absence of the movie. 
that, that it requires a movie of yeah, that. to make fun of the movie yes yes that's what it requires <laughs> it requires the movie to be there and to be hugely successful and to be like why why is this and then that's the joke. Yeah, yeah, if it was a movie that people cared about, then I don't think it would be as funny as the point, <laughs> right? So uh, uh, basically, Jeff, now I'm we're saying, just basically, now Jeff, we're just I'm trolling. saying there one step forward. Two, I'm saying one step forward, two steps backward for your argument. Okay. On the one hand, it was on SNL. It was glorious. It was very funny. Yes. But on it's the other hand, yeah. on the other hand, I think the sketch fundamentally wouldn't have worked if the movie was more popular and and better liked. Yeah, if everyone loved Avatar, like if it was a beloved film that was being referenced all over the place that we remembered fondly, I, it wouldn't it wouldn't quite work. That one line, you mean that movie from 2009? Like uh, the, the joke falls apart, basically. I think you guys are looking through it through a, a lens of, of hate, but that's fine. No, the, the, thing humor, that, the, thing that the humor, the humor. The thing that bothers me most about this and other opinions on this movie is there's this bizarre need for your side to impose a forced consensus that the entire world hates this movie and nobody, there's no one who likes it. it. The way you guys talk about it, like everyone hates it. No one remembers it. Nothing is good has come from it. Th- this weird and, and nothing bothers me more than forced consensus. It is this strange position to take where we all think this. So everyone must think it rather than, say that there's room for a little bit of nuance in there. All right. I'm sure. I'm sure. I, I think you're reading too much into what we're saying. I'm just <laughs> saying my opinion, and I've backed it up with uh, with, with arguments. Uh, and I think you're taking I, I it to too seriously me. anything we have yeah. to say about this topic, Jeff. Yes, yes, for sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm... I've yet to see a good... Like, our, like, the thing is, we've debated this for so long. I still have yet to see a good reasoning for, like, okay, what is the cultural impact? If we if we are definitely wrong about this and its lasting impact on the culture, I'm still waiting for it. What I love is that we get artifacts like this, which keep reminding us that this movie happened and weird things about it still exist. Like the use of the papyrus font, which, yes, it's, it's, a, it's a slightly tweaked version of a pre-existing font, almost, almost like a slightly tweaked version of Dances with the Wolves. Hmm. Mm, makes you think. Makes you makes think. You think. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> there was the the line in the uh, in the sketch that made me laugh the most was when Ryan Gosling's character said they're making more of them <laughs> because he didn't even know that yeah, James Cameron has officially yeah. begun production of four consecutive Avatar sequels, <laughs> uh, which are apparently expected to have a, a collective budget of one billion dollars. Uh, yeah. So production began this this week, I think the last week or so. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so Avatar, t- at, at the very least, Avatar two is actually happening. Jeff Kanata, how psyched are you for this? Very, and you are all going to go see it, and you are all <laughs> going to eat your words when it blows your socks off, and you're all going to apologize to me and be like, "Oh my god, these movies really are really entertaining and fun." I can't believe I was so cynical this whole time. They're going to be really fun movies. I'm not saying they're going to win Oscars. I'm not saying they're going to be the best movie you've ever seen. I didn't think that Avatar was the best movie I'd ever seen. I saw it a bunch of times in the theater. I loved it. It entertained the hell out of me. It's memorable. It was at a wonderful time in my life. I had so much fun watching those movies. They made me cry when I watched them. Uh, I, I love Avatar, and I'm excited there are more sequels. James Cameron always seems to deliver, and I think – Nobody seems to remember how all of his movies that when they announced the budget, 
Oh my God, there's problems on Titanic. Who's going to go see that? Everybody knows the ending. The press, nobody remembers that stuff back then, but the press uh-huh. would ha- was having a field day. Wait, wait, so Jeff, you're, you're definitely saying these movies are sure to be a success, right? I'm Who's talking about movies... implied consensus now, Jeffrey? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm saying what I'm saying. I have faith that this, <laughs> these movies are going to be awesome and you are all going to want to go see them. Everybody that has fun with their cynical little snide comments now are all the same people that went and saw it the first time and are all going to go and see it the second time because it's going to blow the doors off of cinema. It's going to be awesome and everyone's going to love it. I think they're going to make a shit ton of money. They may be the first movie series to make, uh, I, I don't know, what's, 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 yeah, I guess whatever past the current Avatar, but $10 billion, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I'm sure they'll be wildly successful. I just hope I remember it. That's that's what I'm hoping for, a memorable experience. Mm. Yeah, I, Jeff, I mean, you're, we're, you're really laying down a bunch of track here for one of the biggest <laughs> bets ever on the Slash Filmcast, you know? Yeah, I, uh, I, I feel confident. You're saying it's going to be fun and that it's going to do well, right? Pretty much is what you're saying. So yes, uh, and one of I us say is going to look. Everybody that right now is like, <laughs> are going to be in line on day one with their tickets because the trailers are going to knock everyone's socks off, and everyone's going to be excited about the next big spectacle from James Cameron that is doing things that no movie has ever done before. All right. Well, uh, I love bringing this up every single time, Jeff, because it means <laughs> that you're, you've made a bunch of declarative statements, predictive statements oh, that yeah. may not prove to be true. One of us we, is going to look really dumb. We can just chain all these together yeah. to, uh, to be an Avatar prediction episode. Best yeah, of. there's going to be best a best of, Ava- best of Jeff Kanata <laughs> on Avatar. It'll be 90 minutes long. It's just Jeff talking about Avatar. So, well, uh, but but the, the, uh, the implied... Uh, yeah, inverse is true from your side. If 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 you're doubting Thomas is over here, then you are making a prediction just as bold uh, that it will be none of the things I'm saying, right? Yeah, yeah, I, that's that's I right. Mean, or, maybe or, I, I have never definitively said that. I have made statements about the first movie, which are definitely we've backed up several times. That's, yeah, that's I, 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 I think Devinder's statements about the first movie are pretty defensible. But yes. Um, anyway, it was a great sketch on Saturday Night Live. We'll link to it in the show notes. <laughs> Check Came it out, out of nowhere. Yeah, came out of nowhere. Yeah, that they devoted like three minutes to it, and it was very well shot, very funny. Uh, Ryan Gosling really committed to the role. Uh, I thought it was hilarious, and also I, I continue to be delighted that anytime, anytime Avatar is mentioned anywhere in pop culture, at least one of us is going to get a tweet about it. Uh, so it's it's a long running joke. Just start sending out those tweets and articles about how culturally ir- irrelevant Avatar is too, by the way. Like those are the stuff that gets floated around whenever the movie's talked about. Uh, I'm still I'm still waiting for those great glorious think pieces about how great of an experience that movie was. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I don't see those. No, no nobody reason. writes those because uh, cynicism and snarkiness mm. uh, rule the day. Oh yeah, okay. No, a likely story, Jeff. A likely story. <laughs> anyway, um uh, speaking of transcendent theatrical experiences, guys, a ghost story. Uh-huh. Uh, this is the new movie by David Lowry, and it came out in theater. It was like a 824 release. Uh, we always love what that company uh, distributes, and uh, it was kind of uh, out in theaters for like a couple weeks this summer. Blink and you missed it. Limited release. You know, not what a, a cast. Not, yeah, amazing cast. Ro- uh, Rooney Mara, Casey Affleck. You know, it... it 
not a mass appeal movie, um, mm-hmm. but definitely a provocative one. That's that's definitely a movie, not quite as polarizing as Mother, but I think it's a movie that you kind of either love or you hate because yeah, uh, yeah. It, it definitely is is a movie that's not for everyone. You know, mm-hmm. um, when I saw Mother, it's like that's not for everyone. Same thing with a ghost story. Uh, so we have a Blu-ray, uh, three copies actually of a ghost story on Blu-ray that we're going to give away this week. And uh, as usual, uh, we're going to ask you guys to email in some uh, some contest entries. Here are the rules. Uh, all you got to do is email into us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com by Friday, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. In the subject line, write a ghost story contest. That's a ghost story contest. And uh, in the email itself, uh, just write us a few lines about the scariest movie experience you ever had. Um, so a ghost story contest, um, and in the uh, uh, body of the email, write to us about the scariest movie experience you've ever had. Also include your uh, mailing address, and this is uh, unfortunately for U.S.-based uh, people only. Uh, but yeah, that is the uh, uh, the contest uh, to win one of three copies of a ghost story on Blu-ray. Um, and I think it's out on Blu-ray. Like by the time you're listening to this, it'll be out mm-hmm. on Blu-ray already. So uh, it, it's a, a, a great Blu-ray. There's a commentary uh, by David Lowry on it. Comes with a digital copy as well. Um, but yeah, if you want to enter the contest, email slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, a ghost story contest in the subject line. Uh, and uh, write to us by Friday, uh, October 6, 11.59 p.m. Pacific time with your scariest movie experience ever. Put your address in the email too. That would really help us out. Okay. All that said, Divinger Hardware, I know you actually watched mm-hmm. a ghost story recently, right? Yeah, I, I checked out the Blu-ray that we were sent as well. And uh, this movie is fantastic. It is one of those small, quiet movies that I think leaves a big impact on your heart and your soul. Like I'm I'm left thinking about it a week after I've seen it. And I'll be thinking about like the themes and ideas in this film for a long time. It's beautiful, like so much of David Lowry's stuff. And uh, it's just so unique, too, because it's shot in a four by three style, but also with like what rounded framing too. like it's a very specific look. And, uh, you know, it, it's the sort of thing like I do feel like if you if you're watching this on a TV, that's not even that's under 50 inches or something like the movie may even appear very small to you. That's just because of the way it's shot like physically framed. very small because physically very it's, small. Yeah, like yeah. it's a four by three aspect ratio. Yeah. Yeah. It's like very four by three too. like uh, they do crop in a little bit, but it's it's a beautiful film. Um, great experience. Tremendous soundtrack, too. It's like it's all very haunting. Also really interesting to see a movie starring Casey Affleck where he's basically not there or not. You know, you can't see him. For apparently, it 90 percent of it. It is yeah. him under the sheet, apparently. Um, huh. So, yeah. Uh, yep. but, uh, I, I thought it was a, it was definitely one of those movies that made me think a, a lot about life. I think you said like, I'm going to just lie down and contemplate this for eternity. Right. When you, mm-hmm. when you saw it, Devendra, uh, it's definitely a movie that, um, uh, it, you know, in, it reminds me of, uh, Terrence Malick's A Tree of Life actually, uh, sure. which yeah. like started when the dinosaurs, you know, were around and like went all the way to the, to the creation of the universe and the farthest reaches of the galaxy and, uh, and related it to this tiny, tiny, tiny story in this rural area. 
and makes you contemplate like what is the meaning of life in the in the midst of this vast expanse uh, what's the meaning of life in the midst of like eternity when your life is just like a blink of an eye compared to the time scale of the universe uh, makes you think about those questions mm-hmm. uh, Jeff Kanata you seen this movie yet I haven't I'm very excited I my blu-ray just arrived and I'm excited to check it out uh, very curious I like any actor that does his own sheet work. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, totally. I, I, I will say this, um, you know, I, I don't believe this is spoilery. The way they do the sheet in the movie is really, really well done. Like, it's not just uh, a sheet with eye holes in it. You know, it, it's like there's black, uh, like, like when you look through the yeah, eye holes, it's like black. Yeah, you, you yeah. can't see the eyes. And, and uh, there's, you never see the seams, in yeah. my opinion, of like... Next generation sheet technology. It's yeah. next generation sheet technology. It's like really good sheet work. I, I know it sounds hot like I'm joking. Sheet. I'm being 100% serious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's hot sheet. That's exactly right. Um, okay. So if you want to win one of uh, three copies, again, slashfilmcast.com uh, by Friday, 11.59 uh, p.m. Pacific time, and uh, a ghost story contest, the subject line, let us know your scariest movie experience. Great Blu-ray, great movie, provocative movie. Uh, not for everyone. Looking forward to reading your entries. Speaking of doing your own sheet work, fellas, mm-hmm. I do my own sheet work on a mattress. But it has to be a good mattress. can't be a bad mattress. got to replace those mattresses. I once took the mattress that I went from college. I, I took from my home to college and then took that from college into my life. And slept on it many, many years. (laughs) And then I started getting weird back pains, and I couldn't figure out why. Uh, It turned out I needed a new mattress, and I didn't understand that until Casper came along. Casper is a way for you to get a high-quality mattress at a very reasonable price. And this is because Casper has cut out the middleman. You don't have to go into a stupid warehouse store and try to lay down on a mattress for a couple of minutes and figure out if it's going to be comfortable enough for you. Meanwhile, a high pressure salesman is standing over you waiting for you to make a decision. None of that. You don't want to waste your afternoon or your president's day weekend doing that. People do that. People waste their president's day weekend at the mattress sale. No, be smart. Use Casper, order a mattress from your home. Don't even worry about all of that garbage. Just have it sent directly to your house in an easy package like I did, like you guys have done. It is so easy. It comes to your house. You unfold it. It inflates on its own. Well, it doesn't Yeah, you, like, you cut open this box and then like mm-hmm. the, it just like auto-inflates. Like, it bursts into life. When you yeah, see the box, you can't it. believe the whole mattress is inside it. Right, mm-hmm. right. I, I see people with Casper boxes on messenger bikes, guys. Like just <laughs> biking these boxes around. That's crazy. It's pretty crazy. That's insane. Just like yeah. you can't believe that Casey Affleck is in that sheet. You will not believe that a Casper mattress is in that box. Uh, this is an easy way to get a mattress. And the best part is that you then have 100 nights to make your final decision as to whether or not you want to keep this mattress. Chances are you're going to love it because it's super comfortable. It It's made from very high quality materials and it has gotten extremely high marks from uh consumers all across the the country over 20,000 reviews with an average of 4.8 stars that's pretty pretty darn cool but the best part is if for any reason you don't want it over 100 nights of trying it out you can just say hey I want my money back somebody will come and pick it up take it away for you give you your money back that's how confident Casper is uh we all have Casper mattresses we all sleep soundly. Uh, it's good stuff. Also, we're going to help you out. We're going to give you 
$50 toward any mattress purchase. All you got to do is visit casper.com slash filmcast and uh, use our promo code filmcast at checkout. And you get $50 off your purchase of a new mattress. Treat yourself. Feel better. Sleep better. Have a better night's sleep. It's really worth it. Uh, do some sheet work. <laughs> Casper.com slash filmcast and the promo code filmcast. Thanks to Casper for sponsoring us. Uh, all right, fellas, let's move on to what we've been watching this week. Uh, I had a chance to see Battle of the Sexes. You guys heard of this movie? Uh, this mm-hmm. movie's been doing yeah. pretty well on the on the yeah Jeff you, you have a chance to see it. Um, I'm going to read the plot summary from the internet here. The 1973 tennis match between Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs became the most watched televised sports event of all time. Trapped in the media glare, King and Riggs were on opposite sides of a binary argument, but off court each was fighting more personal and complex battles. This movie stars Emma Stone and Steve Carell uh, playing uh, the real-life characters or the real-life people, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs respectively. Uh, overall, I thought this movie was pretty good, Jeff. Um, I, I liked it. I think um, it was not a subtle movie. You know, it was like occasionally extremely on the nose in terms of the messages, uh, <laughs> sometimes very after school special ish, special ish in terms of uh, how I was trying to convey its messages. Um, but it was very enjoyable. I thought Emma Stone and Steve Carell both did a great job. And the tennis was very good. I thought it was very convincing. Uh, I'm not a tennis expert at all. Um, but uh, my fiance actually is a, is a tennis expert, and she also uh, thought the tennis was very good. So uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thought it was a, a really interesting depiction of, uh, sadly, a kind of debate and a battle that uh, still rages on to this day uh, in some ways. Uh, and what do you think of it, Jeff Kanata? Yeah, I liked it too. Uh, it is much more of a love story and a personal story than I anticipated going in. And um, I agree with you that the tennis is really believable and effective. As the movie progresses inevitably toward the big match at the end, I kept thinking to myself, man, I just – I wish in a movie like this, which is a dramatization of real events and casts these people as, uh, you know, real real people, I wish a filmmaker would just get to the point of going – and now real footage from the match and just <laughs> a, a, abandon the need to keep convincing us that it's Steve Carell and Emma Stone, right? Because I I would just love to watch the actual edit of the, of the match to see how they played. But I was thinking that as we were running up to that moment and in the moment I was like, maybe they used real footage and just see that's how it convincing a, it is you're saying right that's how well it comes off it's 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 remarkable remark they don't cheat by using you know absurd close-ups of the actors faces just wildly swinging and then you, you know they, it doesn't feel like a cheat you see the match shot from yeah. the way tennis matches are shot and they are doing very uh exaggerated extreme physical things um, I assume they were all doubled, or maybe they did use some of the authentic footage. I'm not really sure. It's clearly visual wizardry went into it, but uh, it was all very effective. And my favorite part, actually, is that they also used the real Howard Cosell commentary throughout yeah. the match, which is so revealing as to how far we've come. Uh, <laughs> you know, he he's saying some just casually offensive things yeah. throughout, yep. you know? Yep. Uh, and I loved the fact that they used his 
real footage and his real voice. You can't fake that voice either, right? (laughs) If you you faked Howard Cosell, you you could tell. Right, right. I mean, I guess they could get... uh, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, somebody from the eighties, like every, every Howard Cosell, every, uh, you know, um, impressionist from the eighties did a Howard Cosell, <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it. Um, I thought it didn't do as well a job as I had hoped in describing the environment culturally around the event. I agree. You sort of follow these two personal lives and then you get to the event and you see the size and scale. It's like, Oh, 90 million people are watching on TV and you see the, all of the circus that's part of it. But we don't understand why 90 million people tuned in. We don't see why it became such a cultural touchstone that everyone who was alive at that time had a vested interest in. You kind of see that happening as the match is going on, but we don't get any context for why that was created. Um, so I felt like that was a, a little deficient in the in the storytelling, but it definitely was a movie that decided it wanted to be about these two people and their personal lives, and and I thought that was effective. But I just wish the movie had been a little bit broader, also in in context. Yeah, um, I uh, agree. I think some of the context was really lacking, um, and particularly with like Bobby Riggs, I felt like the movie did a pretty poor job explaining like his place in the tennis universe i thought i thought it was a fine performance by right. steve carell but just like i got a much a, a much better sense of uh billy jean king's story than i did with of bobby riggs even though this movie is theoretically about like uh the battle of the two of them uh and well also, it clearly chooses sides this right. movie is not oh, trying to be objective at all totally totally and i think yeah. that's completely fine but you know t- the comment yeah. i made earlier you know uh, women are still fighting for uh, equal pay and um, equal rights. And uh, one of Billie Jean King's biggest achievements was uh, like fighting for Title IX, which, as you might have seen recently in the news, uh, is not necessarily something that uh, is is staying uh, safe. unchallenged, yeah. right? So, not safe, yeah. Uh, so on the one hand, it's a very like encouraging, heartening film. On the other hand, it's also depressing given, uh, you know, viewing it in light of today's reality. So, uh, Yeah, the thing that, that I took away from the movie most it, that really actually choked me up and got me emotional uh, toward the end is how important the struggle is to the marginalized half and how much of a joke it is to the privileged half. Right. It, it, and, and that really resonates today that it's all just a game and a joke and a frivolous endeavor for the people in a position of privilege and for the other people who are, are struggling, who are fighting for rights, it couldn't be more vital. Right. And and I, that really came through in this movie for me. Like it's just it's just a gag. He's not even being serious. It's like he's saying these offensive things as to pull people's chains and to create and to and to make money. It's really about just making money, and that really resonates with today, where people can push buttons and and create awful things in the world and marginalize people. And it, it's just a game. It, they don't care. Because they can, and yet for the people on the other side of that, it is life and death, and it is a struggle with meaning and impact. And I, I don't know, it really uh, got me emotional toward the end of this movie. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is a movie that definitely uh, is effective in some regards and, and worth checking out. 
So uh, that's Battle of the Sexes. It's out, uh, I think, in many theaters this weekend. Check it out if you have a chance. Divin your heart or what have you been watching this week? Um, a bunch of stuff, guys. I saw Gerald's Game, which is a, the new Stephen King adaptation on Netflix, uh, directed by Mike Flanagan, a horror thriller director. I, I'm just really digging his stuff these days. He did a Ouija 2. Uh, Origin Oculus. of Evil. Yeah, Origin of Evil. Still Oculus. Legion. <laughs> Still Legion. Uh, Oculus, the the really good Haunted Mirror movie, which is more effective than like its description sounds. And Hush, that movie, too, about like the deaf woman who's being stalked in the woods uh, in a house all by herself. He's just really good at this genre of material. And I think he mostly hits this movie out of the park. Uh, this movie is about a married couple that goes off to a lake house to kind of rekindle their relationship a little, maybe have some sexy times and uh, things go badly guys. And um, it's very, very, like I haven't read the short story, but in ways it reminds me of misery. Another Stephen King, you know, story about bad things happening on a bed. Uh, I won't say too much about this movie. Um, Basically it stars Carla Gugino, who is awesome. And this is probably one of her best performances ever. And uh, Bruce Greenwood as her husband, a guy who is he is shirtless for a lot of this movie. And this guy is way too old to be this like packed like his his abs are amazing for his age. Just want to say this. Um, She spends most of the movie, I'd say 90 percent of the movie tied to the bed, trapped to the bed. And it's all about her fight for survival uh, this movie is fantastic, guys. Like it is a effective thriller. It's an exploration of sexual assault, and you know, just one woman trying to find her inner strength. Uh, it's really great, and uh, yeah, I'm not going to say much about it except watch it. Uh, maybe don't watch it while you're eating. Uh, one recommendation, like with many Stephen King movies. But yeah, this is definitely the uh, the year of Stephen King adaptations, and this is definitely one of the better ones. Are you saying that we're in some sort of King of Sons? Yeah. Yes, I am. And actually, Netflix has another one coming out later this year, too, I think. So it's crazy. I've heard Gerald's Game is great. Uh, and so it's a very yeah. difficult to adapt novel, apparently. So even mm-hmm. more impressive that it came out well. So um, You know what else we're, we're in, guys? And nobody's talking about it. Not enough mm-hmm. people are talking about it. A Robin Wright Assance. Oh, yeah. Yeah, she is sauncing all over the place. Yeah, that's been happening for a while. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. I guess I feel like House of Cards ushered in the Robin House Wright of Cards was the mm-hmm. beginning, right? But yeah. now she's she's all in the Wonder Woman. She's in the Blade Runner. Mm-hmm. She's a sauncing. She's just mm. like she's full of sauncing, guys. Mm. It's she's in full of sauncing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, Gerald's Game is on Netflix uh, right now, right, Devendra? For sure. Yeah, yeah, it's there and yeah, easily accessible. Check it out. What else have you been watching, Devendra? also been checking out neo yokio and this is a new anime-esque it's a series it's an animated series uh created by ezra koenig from uh vampire weekend stars jaden smith jude law as a robot butler like it's it's an it's an american made but uh japanese produced show so it's they're doing in the style of anime kind of has the same character designs and like anime mannerisms and this show is about a rich kid in New York City, and like uh, Neo Yokio is sort of like a future, different version of New York City. Uh, basically, a rich kid tr- dealing with rich kid problems. I think the description of the show doesn't sound that interesting, but uh, the voice work, uh, Jude Law's here, Susan Sarandon, 
uh, Jason Schwartzman, of course, Richard Ayoade, like a ton of great voice actors. It's a really sweet show and just like dryly funny at times. Like it has a very uh, maybe a bit of a Wes Anderson vibe to it. Uh, but it's really sweet, even though it's ultimately about rich people problems. And I also just think it's really cool to see uh, people who probably grew up watching anime basically getting to make their own shows. Um, yeah, this is very interesting. It sort of it reminds me of a little bit of like how Avatar The Last Airbender came about and Legend of Korra and all that stuff. Uh, except this is uh, it's, it's kind of like a high society farce. And if you're into anime, uh, definitely worth checking out. It's, it's just really unique. That's Neo Yokio. How did you view it, Devendra Hardware? It's on Netflix. On Netflix, Netflix has everything, guys. Neo Yokio on world. Netflix. All right, what else have you been watching, yeah. I also finished the season of Top of the Lake, Top of the Lake Season 2, China Girl. And uh, if you haven't seen this yet, do so right now. It is fantastic. It is a great uh, murder mystery, but also a great character drama. If you enjoy Top of the Lake Season 1, it builds on the characters, uh, specifically Elizabeth Moss's uh, detective character, who is... You know, even like in a way, like she is kind of broken and just trying to put herself together in the season. And it's just really heartening. Uh, when I talked about it before, I didn't even mention Nicole Kidman is in the series and she's playing like an overbearing Australian mother. And the show kind of tries to, I, I think it tries to age her naturally in a way too. Like it's Nicole Kidman, not super glamorous, but with like, you know, uh, pimples and acne on her face and like a graying hair, but she still is like a towering presence. Um, great casting, great story. I think just like season one, the plot elements sometimes get a little wonky. I think there's a bit of convenience going on, but I think the texture of the show is so good. Like it just really gets you a sense of like what it's like to be like in Sydney, Australia. And it tries to, you know, cover broader themes like uh, sex workers and the exploitation of, uh, you know, immigrant Asian women in Australia today. Uh, it's trying to do a lot of things. And I think it accomplishes most of it. And there, this movie has, uh, this show has some of the best episode breaks that I can think of. Like just something insane happening right at the end that really makes you want to go into the next episode. So just, you know. I think that it all works out really well. And this is the Jane Campion produced series too. Like she just has such a great eye. Uh, I believe she directed all these episodes or at least most, uh, most of them. Um, this show just looks incredible and definitely worth watching. It's on Hulu right now too. So you don't need Got to have Sundance channel to see it. Top of the lake seasons one and two, right? Are on Hulu. Yep. Yeah. All right. Uh, Can we well, they get to the rest of the lake at some point? Yeah. The bottom of the lake. The it's, middle it's of the lake. It's a process. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's what Devendra's been watching. Jeff Kanata, how about you? What have you been watching? Uh, I have uh, been watching uh, the second season. It's uh, three episodes so far of Better Things, which is on oh, yeah. FX. Uh, this is uh, the show. Oh, why did her name just jump out of my Pamela head? Adlon. Uh, Pamela Adlon. Pamela Adlon, yes. Pamela Adlon's show that she's making with uh, Louis C.K. Um, Louis C.K. is credited as a writer on a lot of these episodes in season two. And Pamela Adlon, who stars and it's ostensibly about her life, uh, is also directing all of the episodes, at least so far. Um, I enjoyed this show a lot in season one. I kind of described it as Louis, but from a female perspective – and I think the second season is already in just three episodes in is wildly better. It is, it, it feels like it has really grown into its own and is deeper, richer, more interesting, funnier. 
I really, really love Better Things. It's um, it's beautiful. Uh, Pamela Adlon isn't afraid to show herself in very unflattering lights and kind of show warts and all what it's like to be a, a mother, a single mother of a certain age. Uh, and it feels very honest and very raw. She has a wonderful love-hate relationship with her own kids. She's searching for love. She's searching for friendship. She's abrasive in certain ways. The first episode of this season is about her daughter dating an older man. Her daughter's like 15, 16, dating an older man, like 30-year-old guy. Uh, it's, It's handled in such an interesting way. It's funny and deft and poignant. Um, and then the, the most recent episode, uh, co-stars Henry Thomas, Elliot from E.T. Uh, he puts in a really lovely performance. The second episode was about her sort of discovering her priorities in life. All of them have been so, so powerful. And I, I'm just, I really dig the show. I think it's found a voice that I don't even think it had in the first season. It's just This great. season, it, it's really good. I'm really digging it. Also, Henry Thomas is in Gerald's game. Uh, playing a very creepy character. So it was really weird uh, seeing him in Better Things right after that movie. Just just putting that out there. We might be at the beginning of some sort of... <laughs> Tomas Assance? I don't want to say it, guys, but I don't want to jinx the Assance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Jeff, you've made me hate myself for using Assance too much. <laughs> then my work here is done. <laughs> so that's Better Things, and it's on FX right now. Uh, Jeff, what else have you been watching? I also saw the triumphant return of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Season 9 premiered this weekend. Uh, Episode 1. It's back. Uh, Larry David's show about Larry David (laughs) and his, his, you know, cranky life. This show, it's like stepping back in time. It's like, it's, it's really a strange experience for me watching Curb Your Enthusiasm now because... It is comedy and perspective from a much simpler age. It, it really is. It, it reminds me of what it was like watching Curb Your Enthusiasm all those years ago when it was on consistently year after year on HBO. And the world seemed less dire and <laughs> that we could we could be mad at things that Larry David is mad at, you know, like the way shampoo comes out of a bottle, you know, like simpler frustrations. And now – it just seems like, oh, you're making fun of that stuff. There's what much bigger things to worry about, Larry. <laughs> but, uh, but it's it's I don't know. It's like a little comforting blanket of like, oh right, the early 2000s were so fun. <laughs> it was so, it was so nice to be in 2010. <laughs> it was great back then. Um, so it's it's much of the same. It's like it's no it's no different. It 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 feels anachronistic now, but it is no different. Uh, so if you liked it then, chances are, you might like it now. That's curb your enthusiasm. It's on HBO right now. And finally, Jeff, I think you wanted to give a shout out to the uh, to Blade Runner, the final cut, right? Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. In anticipation of seeing Blade Runner twenty forty nine, I wanted to refresh myself on Blade Runner because I hadn't watched it in a long, long time. I know there's been. 47 different cuts um and I, now there's a final cut there's a the the last cut yeah no a, a lot of people have asked like they've tweeted out like which which blade runner cut should i watch you know um and the answer is the final cut i think the L- literally final cut, the one called the final yeah it's called know, the final cut, cut. cut. i think called, it, it is the definitive cut yes it yeah. should be called watch this cut yeah <laughs> yeah better word 
Although yeah. I, if somebody put a gun to my head and said, "What's different in this one from the last Blade <laughs> Runner?" Well, I'm not sure I could tell them. Um, I know there's different stuff, but like Do- okay. dozens of changes, dozens of changes. Yeah. Like, and a lot of it is like just very basic, like digitally cleaning up shots and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I, it, I I've seen the director's cut. Like the director's cut was my first cut of, of Blade Runner that I watched. Um, but we always remember our first cut. You always remember your first, not not just first cut, your first Blade Runner cut, Jeff. Right, right. Um, and uh, yeah, final cut's very good. And Jeff, it sounded like you were saying uh, you're really glad you watched the final cut before you saw Blade Runner 2049, right? That's really why I wanted to bring mm-hmm. it up. We'll be, well, I don't want to spoil it, but <laughs> chances are you guys knew we were going to be talking about Blade Runner 2049 next week. And I would highly recommend if you're planning to see that movie before our review or planning to see that movie at all, Go rewatch Blade Runner 2049. I'm so glad I did. 2049 is very much a sequel. Very much a sequel. So uh, you will be rewarded for having it fresh in your mind. For sure. Speaking of fresh things, Jeff. Mm. Hello. Hello. Fresh things. Fresh. Hello, fresh things. Oh, Dave, that was so well done. Thanks, man. Gosh. It was like you, you... Set the ball and then I spiked it. Yep. <laughs> HelloFresh is our sponsor. HelloFresh is uh, is meal delivery service. It is honestly, it will change your life. I'm telling you, there's a lot of things in life that that are nice and are quality of life improvements. This will change your life. If you are somebody who, like me, used to just eat whatever fast food or, or just even go on out to nice restaurants. If you just ate whatever garbage you could stuff in your mouth uh, at any given time because you needed sustenance, open yourself up to the idea of preparing food. It will change your life. It will improve your life in so many ways. And HelloFresh is the fresh way to do it. It's the quick and easy way to do it. They call themselves a farm-to-box company because they want everyone to have access to fresh ingredients. Uh, But they're also a couch-to-kitchen company because, like me, who used to sit on my couch eating garbage. Uh, now I'm in the kitchen. I'm taking an active role in what goes in my body and the, my family's body. I feel better. I'm enjoying meals more. I have more variety in what I eat. And if my goodness, if you're a single person, I can't imagine anything better than inviting someone over and cooking a meal. There's nothing more intimate, more lovely than to share the process of preparing food. HelloFresh is the easy way to do that, you get little boxes. I love it because they come in little self-contained, each meal self-contained box has all the fresh ingredients that you might need to make that meal and then clear step-by-step instructions on how to do it. This isn't like you read uh, a, a recipe in a book that just gives you the steps of how to make it. This is like step-by-step of making the entire meal. Now you do this, then you do that. Can't get enough eye-popping, jaw-dropping, heart-stopping reality TV. It's the best. Then head to Hey You, home of reality on demand. Stream and download the latest episodes from shows like Keeping Up with the Kardashians and The Real Housewives, same day as the US. What's more fun than that? Or binge old faves like The Simple Life and The Hills. That's hot. Hey You, reality on demand. Start your one-month free trial now. At using the same pan, you do this. It's great. And it's inexpensive. You're going to be spending less than $10 per meal. 
HelloFresh employs two full-time registered dietitians, and they review each recipe to make sure it is nutritionally balanced. It comes right to your door in recyclable, insulated boxes, always free shipping. You never have to worry about that. They have light summer meals. They've got uh, breakfast options now. It's great. And we're going to give you a discount. We're going to give you $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. All you got to do is go to HelloFresh.com, put in our promo code, which is FILMCAST30, because you get $30 off. It's easy to remember. FILMCAST30 at HelloFresh.com. Try it out. Save 30 bucks. Try out your first few meals. I'm guaranteeing you, you will, your life will change. It will be a completely new kind of experience if you've never known what it's like to cook. Anybody can do it. If I can do it, anybody can do it. Uh, HelloFresh.com. The promo code FILMCAST30. Right. That's uh, F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T and then the numbers three zero. Um, so thanks to HelloFresh for sponsoring us. We really appreciate it. Okay, guys, uh, we got to move on. Before we get to our review, there is one brief film news item I wanted to bring up. And that is J.J. Uh, Abrams, guys. We, we didn't really have a chance to talk about the fact that J.J. Abrams a few weeks ago has announced he would be directing the new Star Wars uh, Star Wars Episode mm. Nine. Um, I guess the folks at Lucasfilm thought, hey, uh, <laughs> there's one dude in, on the planet other than Ryan Johnson we know who can handle <laughs> directing a Star Wars film, J.J. Abrams. But it also left open the question, like, what is J.J. Abrams going to do aside from Star Wars movies? I mean, think about the movies J.J. Abrams has made, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's done Super 8. Star Trek 1 and 2, Mission Impossible 3, uh, and then Star Wars uh, Episodes 7 and 9, right? So uh, out of all of those movies, his only original film is Super 8. Uh, and there's a lot of questions about, like, what, where, what is the trajectory of this guy's career, given that he was once hailed as a young Spielberg, super talented dude, um, and we got a little hint of that when it was announced recently that he would be directing a live-action U.S. adaptation of the movie Your Name. Uh, the Do we Mac- know he's directing it, by the way? I know he's adapting it with Bad Robot. I don't know I believe, if we know for certain he's directing it. I believe it's him directing I think it's him directing it. Um, Eric Heiserer is writing the, uh, uh, the script. but mm-hmm. um, The Arrival guy. Yeah. yeah, the guy who wrote Arrival. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, he's, I, I'm look I like Googling it and it's looking like it's, mm-hmm. his name is associated with it. He's yeah. Uh, they're, they're going to produce he's it. He's producing but, yeah. it. Yeah. yeah he's producing, he's developing it. it. Right yeah. It's unclear if he's directing it. Um, so but still, you know, interesting. Uh, your name is one of my favorite movies of the year. And, uh, mm-hmm. I actually think this could be good. Um, I think it, you know, it is, there is a lot of universality to that story of, uh, just like longing for another life is really what that Mm -hmm. movie's about. Um, and I, I, for one, am looking forward to our, uh, JJ Abrams produced, possibly directed, uh, version of your name. But, um, what do you guys think? Devendra, are you excited for this? I I can't think of a... U.S. remade version of an anime film that that turned out well, and I had just seen Death Note a couple weeks ago, which was horrific. Uh, but yeah, there are universal themes to take out here. But also, you know, the, this has been explored a bit in other things like The Lake House, uh, which was you know a pretty popular you know romantic drama. Um, so yeah, it, it could work. It just depends on how it's done, and it certainly won't have the like wonderful texture and cultural qualities that I really enjoy from the original film. Yeah, I mean, the original is really incredible, and I would strongly recommend 
uh, if you have a chance, get that Blu-ray whenever it comes out. Uh, it's a great film. It's a great film. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I hope they keep the uh, the spit alcohol. They have to figure out how to, how to work that in <laughs> the Western version. I had a feel. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring up something really weird about the movie, Jeff, <laughs> and you delivered. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, there were a lot of really weird, culturally specific aspects of that film. <laughs> now that you mention it, uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out in in uh, in a U.S. version. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, looking online, there there is like a lot of uh, uh, divergent information about J.J. Abrams' involvement, um, but I, I think him producing is probably the most likely scenario. This guy uh, is busy. Yeah, yeah, the dude's, the yeah dude's I busy. feel like that that whole Star Wars thing is going to take up some time. <laughs> yeah, it's probably going to be the next two to three years of his life. Um, yeah, but and we we didn't talk too much about that. I, I can see why Disney ended up going with him. And the more I rewatch The Force Awakens, like the more I I'm just like very satisfied with what went down with that movie. I just hope they can wrap up this trilogy pretty well, right? I think that's the thing people keep saying about JJ. He starts things. He's done pilots. He's done like the first film in series. Uh, he hasn't really ended things. Um, yeah, he's very he's very good at rebooting project. things. You yeah. Know? Um. Again, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Star Wars. Mm-hmm. He's very good at rebooting things. Uh. But can he bring things to a satisfying conclusion? Yeah. We'll see. And the, honestly, that's up to the script too. But you know. Yeah. I think it's going to be amazing when we find out that there's a second Star Killer base, and the shield is on some sort of forest moon. That. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, Jeff. I know you're joking, but that feel, it's a distinctly possible outcome. I mean, yeah. based on what happened with <laughs> Yes, it is. Yeah. Guys, yes. guys, a solar system-sized weapon to destroy <laughs> galaxies. And it'll be on a forest <laughs> forest location that we have to go They're to. They're all forest planets, okay? Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to uh, anything J.J. Abrams does. But I, I, you know, I do hope that he does branch out and do... Uh, more interesting uh, original things that he aren't just a rebooting things. Guy. Like that, 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 I, I don't blame him for that. That's what he wants to do. And yeah, I guess, I guess that know, is what he wants to do. Yeah, you're right. you're right. You're right. It's fine. It's fine. He's that. good at it, guys. It like, I, 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 think gotta... back, I think back to specific episodes of Alias. There's a Super Bowl episode of Alias, which I think about a lot, uh, which has a great opening action sequence and one of the best fight sequences ever in a TV show. And I thought to myself, like, this guy is going places. This guy wants to make fucking movies, you know? And uh, he's doing it. So we'll he's see. And Super 8, movies. he's making big, huge movies. And he but if you wants think, to do if, if you look at, like, actual Steven Spielberg, I mean, I know Steven Spielberg is, like, a once-in-a-generation or once-in-a-century director. But it, it is interesting to see how his work has evolved over the years, you know, mm-hmm. that uh, – He's now – I don't know that I'm a fan of uh, his later works as much as I'm a fan of Steven Spielberg's earlier works. But uh, at least he's kind of – he has a distinct kind of um, worldview and a kind of uh, uh, messages he's trying to bring to the world, right? And Spielberg has matured over time. Right, so. exactly. And I don't know that um, – uh, I'm just curious to see how like the latter part of Abrams' career is going to play out because he's a guy who's again immensely talented, uh, and I wonder if he's just going to be you know doing reboots and and uh, preordained blockbusters for the rest of his life. I hope yeah. um, he- I hope he lends his talents to something like you know really bold and original and something like we've never seen or heard of before. I'd hope you know, so. Yeah. I, I I think you guys are are right in saying that he hasn't achieved that sort of Spielbergian potential, but I I do think that. Bad Robot is yes. to film what Amblin was. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. 
you know, I think uh, it is it is he has achieved that level of Spielbergian this. <laughs> they can do things like the Cloverfield series, right? right? They can have like cool little sci-fi projects, which I think in our typical studio system wouldn't be made, you know, unless you had this geeky dude who really wants to produce these things. So, it's true. I, you know, he has his fingers in many different pies and he's definitely producing really cool stuff. And anytime there's a bad robot TV series, like I, I, I will certainly follow it. Yeah. yeah, I think in the same way that Amblin, you know, 20 years ago made it a must watch and no matter what no matter what medium that it came out on i think the same thing with bad robot it's it, you have to pay attention because bad robots title card is on mm-hmm. it can't disagree with you jeff cannot disagree um all right uh well let's move on before we get to our review we got to thank all the people who donated to the slash filmcast donald mccoy brian from sydney australia caleb masters uh, from Oklahoma City, who also became a subscriber at the rate of $2 per month. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks to new subscribers, Victor Fuentes, Caleb Masters, and Christopher Rudd. Uh, we really appreciate it, guys, uh, all your support, which helps us go to defray the cost of seeing movies and putting on the show. If you want to support the Slash Filmcast in that way, go to SlashFilm.com, click on the Slash Filmcast tab, use the PayPal links on the side of the page. Let's get to our review of American Made. This is the United States Drug Enforcement Agency. We are ordering you to land. All right, boys. Let's land. My name's Barry Seal. That's for the damage. For your sister. Hey, little darling. And your bike. Some of this shit really happened. You never saw me. Top of your class in the Civil Air Patrol. Pilot like you shouldn't be flying buses. Welcome to Miami. Welcome to Bakersfield. Haven't you ever wanted something more, Barry? You should be serving your country. Your CIA. <sighs> that was from the trailer of American Made, the newest film by director Doug Lyman, written by Gary Spinelli and starring Tom Cruise. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. A pilot lands work for the CIA and as a drug runner in the South during the 1980s. Uh, and today we have a special guest joining us for our review of American Made. She is a writer for places like Thrillist, Vulture, and SlashFilm.com. Lindsay Romaine, welcome to the Slash Filmcast. Lindsay, how are you doing today? I'm doing okay, all things considered. <laughs> it has <laughs> so, been a rough day. Yeah, rough day. yeah, um, yeah definitely. But, um, but yeah, no, I'm doing good. I'm really happy to be here. Thank you for having me. We're so psyched to have you on. It was uh, nice meeting you this summer at Con of Thrones, uh, where you're yes. covering it for SlashFilm.com. Um, and uh, I've uh, enjoyed your tweets over the last uh, few months as well. So great to have you on uh, to discuss American Made. So... Uh, I was really nervous about going into American Made because um, I the last two Tom Cruise movies I did not like. Uh, the Mummy and Jack Reacher never go back. Damn. I felt like he was he was kind of uh, um, uh, an actor past his action movie prime, but still thinking that he was in his action movie prime. Uh-huh. And uh, so I was wondering, like, would, would American Made, who, which pairs him up with Doug Lyman, a guy who helped him make uh, Live, Die, Repeat, or Edge of Tomorrow, one of my favorite action movies of all time. But also would, a huge failure. Like, uh, yeah, yeah well, not a huge life. failure, but yeah. just like not a big success, you yeah. know, financially. Uh, would that be a fruitful pairing? Lindsay Romaine, what do you think of American Made? Do you feel like this is a great use of Tom Cruise's talents? Uh, not really. Um, I think <laughs> <laughs> not, I'll just jump right in. Yeah. Um, I Tom Cruise is someone who I'm definitely interested in. I 
think he's always a fascinating person on screen. I felt like he was phoning it in a little bit in American Made. Um, I don't know that he felt as dynamic to me as I kind of was hoping for. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. He kind of sucked the life out of it a little bit for mm. me. So <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a controversial opinion, but that's kind of how I felt walking out. That's interesting because, you know, usually the one thing you can't accuse Tom Cruise of is phoning it in. Like he usually, yeah. whether he's hanging off the side of planes or jumping off tall buildings, like he's usually really in it for, he, he got a new accent for this movie. That was interesting. <laughs> kind of. Yeah. He got one. Uh, he got one. Yeah. He, he, he like, went and picked one up at the corner accent, store. The accents are us and purchased an accent. That's right. That's right. Um, but did you just feel like, uh, like, did you just not believe him in the role? or did you just find him like not energetic enough for what this role called for, Lindsay? A little bit of both. I think maybe I was expecting something, um, you know, sort of the vibe I was getting off of this movie heading into it, even though I, I don't really know exactly why, but I was thinking like the nice guys, kind of like Ryan Gosling in that movie, um, you know, where there's like all of this energy and stuff. And I, I just feel like he didn't have that. Maybe I was missing something, but I didn't believe him mm-hmm. in it really at all. Mm. I, I don't know. It, he did not connect with me at all. I left just wishing that he had gone a little weirder. Like, I just feel like the character was, could have, it was like a great character that could have been very interesting and smarmy and all of these things. And I just don't feel like he went for it quite the way that he could have. Yeah, I think there's a lot to that. Jeff Kanata, what do you think of uh, Tom Cruise in American Made? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm uh, I guess, a, a bit of a Tom Cruise apologist. I, I really... On screen, say what you will about the dude's private life, but I always find him so compelling. And I I didn't get the phone-it-in vibe from this. And for the most part, I had a pretty good time. This is a sprawling rise and fall story, and those are generally entertaining to me. Um, and I, I think there's, a, there's an energy to just the sort of airplane-ness of this movie. There's a lot of, there's a lot of airplane in this movie and, and the way the airplane stuff is shot is pretty fun. There's a, there's a pace and a kinetic nature to just the, the sp- sprawling all over the place from country to country, from Island to Island. It just feels like we're on a, on an adventure at a high pace. And I, and, and there is something that, that swept me up in all of that. My biggest problem with this movie and this may be a Tommy Cruise issue, quite frankly, <laughs> is it's completely amoral. It, it is a strangely, bizarrely, disturbingly amoral film. It it shows this behavior that is quintessentially wrong <laughs> and complicated and dark. I mean, it's basically a, a Goodfellas, right? Mm-hmm. But there is literally no downside to this guy. There's, there's no. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I agree with there, that. There are some downsides. Yeah, I think there are some bit, pretty Quite big downsides, few. Jeff. But okay. But there are no negative qualities to this human being. Oh, sure. oh, to him as a person, you're saying. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Uh, other than his horrible actions, though. Yeah. He is portrayed as a just a great guy all the way through. Right. Uh-huh. He's just a just a fantastic fella who is doing <laughs> really unethical things I, I think that is part of the point of the movie too though right well, like well here's, is, what I, here's where i agree uh-huh. with jeff on this is uh i don't know that i agree with you that he's portrayed as a great guy because he obviously does horrible things but i think this movie uh has a bizarrely sterile approach to the drug trade oh, yeah, uh, i mean like sure. you never really see the horrors of 
what drugs like and and the trafficking mm-hmm. of them like what they inflict on people yeah. either from those using them or those who are killed in the trading of them like um not that's completely absent from the movie it, yeah. it feels it's like it's about the glory side of the drug trade of the right. people who profit from it that's yeah. exactly right oh no i was gonna say I think that's also kind of where my issues with tom cruise mm-hmm. come in is that if he had sold sort of this character as more of an asshole um and i think he could have done that if he had, mm-hmm. you know with certain um, just trying in a different way. Uh, I think if he had felt more like an asshole, it would have kind of helped some of those issues of the, of it being amoral. It just didn't feel like he, he was too like, I don't know. I I don't know what the right word, not putting it in hard enough. He's noble in, in this, like a noble thief, but he's like emphasis on the noble for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's an example of stuff we were talking about um, before you got here, Lindsay, but um, it, it is, it's an example of how I watch movies now in, in in a new way that I don't I'm not entirely happy about, but I can't help but look at this and feel like this movie just assumes that naked capitalism is a positive thing. Like mm-hmm. he's he's doing this stuff because people ask him to, and he makes money, and so that's just gen, just a positive thing. And here we go and. Like this is what a guy, any guy in this situation would do, and he's a family man and loves his wife, and she loves him, and they're super happy, and he doesn't do anything wrong, and it's like, what? That, <laughs> that, I don't, I don't find any of that remotely believable. Like mm-hmm. a guy wrapped up in this kind of chaos and and wealth and uh, you know the, the associating with all those folks, he's just never gonna do anything. I I, yeah, I I don't know I don't know if I agree with yeah. you. Jeff. I mean, because I think like uh, a movie that I saw recently that I didn't bring up, and and a movie I know you loved is uh, the founder starring Michael Keaton, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I felt like that movie did a great job at portraying Michael Keaton as this craven capitalist who would do anything uh, to get ahead, um, and that. The moral of the story is when you need you as the viewer need to impute on the film, right? Like you need yeah, to right. you need to communicate what the you you need to like have the moral in your own mind uh, before going in. Like the movie doesn't need to do the moralizing for you. I feel like this movie yeah. is exactly wow. the same way. I feel like yeah. I, I I really disagree strongly, Dave, because I I think that's a perfect movie to bring up and and show how Michael Keaton's performance, the script, the way the movie shot, it it really shows warts and all of of that that guy it, it makes him it, it shows how uh disturbed and vile and upset he was this none of that with tom cruise hmm. none I, of I, yeah i guess i just I, I, I disagree with that assessment of tom cruise i guess in this movie yeah wow another movie i kept God. thinking of too was a uh, wolf of wall street um mm-hmm. and sort of leonardo dicaprio in that movie where yeah i don't know that that movie comes down hard on any way either but he's just so ridiculous and emasculated and crazy in that movie that like you can kind of come to the conclusion of like oh yeah i should think this guy sucks mm-hmm. and i yeah i don't know that one kept popping up a lot too. yeah, and, yeah. And th- those are both good comparisons you like wolf of wall street i think by the end of that movie right you're you're having fun it's it's a good mm-hmm. fellas time for most of the movie and then the shit kind of hits a fan 
And yeah. I think the movie, like the weight of his, of his monstrous decisions kind of comes to pass in that movie and use the audience starts to feel complicit. I don't know if the, like, honestly, part of the problem for the founder for me is that I don't think that movie ever landed that right. It does show negative aspects of, uh, of Ray Kroc, but also ends in a weirdly triumphant way for him. It, it, that movie I think is more confusing than even this one. Like I do think, um, you know, I'll, I'll talk more about like my overall thoughts in this movie at some point, but this, this film really assumes like, Oh man, look, it's, it's Tom Cruise. He's kicking ass. He's making money. He's like a real American man. Like, didn't you like top gun? This is that same dude, <laughs> same dude living the American dream. Right. And I don't think it has to spell it out for you. Like there are objectively bad things he's doing and he's doing it with the Tom Cruise grin. And they're doing it with like fun seventies music, and like it's just like a fun time. Everyone's having fun. You have drinks with like uh, with uh, you know Pablo Escobar and his crew. Like it's, it's all fun. Except I do think um, you know as the audience, you could be like, "What the hell is happening?" Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just never got a sense of the danger in this movie. Mm-hmm. I know, like at yeah. times he's, yeah. he's arrested, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know, there's a, there's a couple times he's arrested. He comes close to being arrested. Like s- some people die tangentially in the movie, mm-hmm. but I just never got a sense that like his life was at stake. You know, mm-hmm. uh, obviously until the latter part of the film, like I just never got a sense that like this was a dangerous trade. It just felt like this, like you said, Devinder, this dude's having fun. Yeah, you know, he's fun. making tons of cash, and and that's it. Now, what I the 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 one thing I did like. So I'll just say I was fairly disappointed in this film. Um, I didn't think it really added up to anything. Like I, the the story the story was a series of interesting events that mm-hmm. never grabbed me in any uh, in any broader way. I, I never felt like the story yeah. coalesced into something that was greater than its parts. It just felt like, oh, here's a series of interesting events. I never thought, oh, what's going to happen to this dude? You know, yeah. what, what's going to yeah. happen with his family? Like, I never felt any attachment to this guy. And so, uh, you know, t- to that extent, I think the movie is a failure. But one thing. Uh, that I did appreciate about the movie is uh, the amorality of of America, right? And mm-hmm. uh, and how like nation building was a thing that people went into with gusto at one point in American history. Uh, not only thought it was okay, but like thought it was w- what represented the best about America. Mm-hmm. And what's fascinating is you know we are we are in a situation right now where we feel like. Uh, Hey, like Russia might have interfered with our elections, dude. America used to assassinate people uh, to to get people elected in other countries. You know what I mean? And I feel like this movie doesn't address that kind of thing directly, but it kind mm-hmm. of is like, hey, America used to try to you know support certain parties, arm certain parties, and um, and basically meddle in other people's affairs yeah. in in major ways that made uh, a lot of people rich and successful here. And that's pretty troubling. And I think that's, mm-hmm. that's one thing mm-hmm. that the movie gets across well. Um, but that's probably the only thing that I really, really thought was good about the film. Um, yeah. So anyway, uh, any, any other thoughts before we get to spoilers? There's probably well, a couple other I things. Mean, I, I just want to say, like, I, I mostly enjoyed this film. Uh, but I do think, like, everything you guys are saying is very true. Like, it, it could have been sharper. It could have been a little more focused. Uh, I, Tom Cruise in this role is actually perfect because that is a great way to kind of trick the audience into thinking like, oh, man, look how awesome this dude is. Like he's living the dream, he's making money for his wife and his family, and he has more money than he knows what to do with. Isn't that great? And the consequences of that uh, become apparent later on, but not like it's not really shown throughout the movie. Um, 
And the things you're saying too, Dave, like the broader impact of like the drug trade. Oh man, you're making millions of dollars, but w- where is the stuff going? What is it? You know, how is it impacting the rest of the society? Um, it, this feels like a great Netflix special. Like I would have loved to see like three yeah. to six episodes of this, similar to Narcos or something that really dives into it and gives us a sense of it. And honestly, the movie too, like it doesn't look that great. Like it, it has some seventies vibes, but it feels. Oh, I, think, almost I think it looks. I think it looks pretty good. That's, I, that's my I, opinion. It, there, there's like a cheapness to it to me, like given how great, you know, stuff we're seeing on Netflix and Amazon and whatnot here now. Um, it felt like it felt the movie felt slight in so many ways because it wasn't super focused and because like, you know, yeah, the the airplane scenes look fantastic. But certain elements of the film like just feel like it was cheap in a way. And maybe that's just the narrative, right? They couldn't really go too deep into any of this and they kind of had to paint with broad strokes. Uh, but I do give the movie credit, like the amoral aspects of it, like not quite like basically just having him do terrible things and like no one's really judging him and he's just kind of winning from it. And I think some people may take away the wrong message from this until we get to the end of the movie. So and at least it shows like the downsides of that. Right. Lindsay, I think, brought up a great comparison of like Wolf of Wall Street, which is, Mm -hmm. again, another movie that I think um, shows a lot of upside of uh, of what it's like to live that kind of life and some downside. um, But that ultimately, like you, you as the viewer need like will take away from that story what you will and and that actually mm-hmm. happened with wolf of wall street a lot of a lot of people find that movie inspiring as a way to like yeah. live their own lives um and we I, are I, terrible I, think that yeah. I, I just fundamentally disagree that that there's anything there's any character flaw in tom cruise all right let's, let's talk about mo- that in spoiler morality. let's talk about that in spoiler i, I do have i do want to challenge you mm-hmm. on that front jeff and, and get into specifics uh, when we talk about that, I want to ask you guys this question: though. Are any of you caught up with uh, Narcos by any chance? Not fully. No. No. No mm-hmm. one's caught up with Narcos. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was just no. wondering, like, how that kind of compares to this because they're both movies about the drug trade. They both feature Pablo Escobar. Well, it's uh, funny. And the how... Narcos season one is a lot deeper. Like that is kind of more of what I wanted. Yeah. I mean, even yeah. in season one, you know, mm-hmm. I, I watched. I didn't watch the whole thing. I got tired of the show about halfway through the first season. But <laughs> but even even in what I watched, I felt like was a was a deeper exploration of the characters behind the drug trade than this movie was. Yeah, this um, movie's uninterested yeah. in that at all. But it's also yeah. <laughs> I found it pretty interesting that uh you know if you if you watch Narcos, you come away thinking Pablo Escobar is like this kingpin at the center of everything. And if you watch American Mate, he seems like a side He's character. He's like a total side character in this movie. Yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, yeah. I didn't even know that it was Pablo Escobar until I <laughs> looked at the imdb page afterwards i'm not gonna lie so that's how much it doesn't make him like a very relevant character i think there's very few characters other than tom cruise that make any kind of impression in this film at all yeah uh, well, yeah. other than other than the great shirtless caleb landry jones yes caleb caleb landry <laughs> jones will never not be creepy in movies and uh yeah. i thought he was very very effective in this poor, movie. poor guy also i don't think this is another one of those movies where the wife character just doesn't Ugh. doesn't get treated well. Uh, like she gets a sense of her own later on. She really challenges uh, Barry Seal, Tom Cruise's character, against like a lot of his bullshit later on. But I I don't like the way like her, the first couple scenes we see of her at some point is basically her you know getting all dolled up to have sex with him and then straight to cuts uh, just like three or four rapid fire sex scenes like one after another, which is kind of funny. But by we don't even know the wife other than her being a sex bot by that point. Like uh, that is really weird. Yeah, that was really disappointing for me. She's basically not even a character <laughs> really at all. Um, in real life, too, he had three different wives during this time. Uh-huh. So. I think it's kind of interesting that they decided to make her 
one and then also kind of nothing. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it points to what I'm saying, I think, which is that he's just like this family man. He's just yeah. doing it for the family. Mm-hmm. Everything is everything is glossed over of any kind of wrinkle that might make him seem like a despicable fella. But, right. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit more about American Made in spoilers for the film starting right now. Now you're looking for the secret. Can I see this coming? No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So, I mean, Jeff, I think the part of the movie that... I got a sense of uh, the movie taking a position on on the character of Barry Seal is is uh, when he like rips his family out of their home mm-hmm. um, and has to move them all overnight and moves them into this horrible place and. Uh, but I mean, they end just... up loving it. It's all great. He's <laughs> he's doing it out of love. He's yeah. doing it out of protection. That same type of thing happens in other movies like this. When when uh, oh, man, my brain. Sorry guys, I, I get mm-hmm. li- very little sleep these days, so I I'm having a hard time pulling up actors. Or character names out of the out of the back of my brain, but uh, the the lead in uh, in Go- in Goodfellas does bizarre stuff, and it 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 is chaos. It is it is ridiculous, and um, you see this crumbling of the foundation of his life. You see, you know, him building up this relationship, and then it just hollowing out because of the mania that mm-hmm. comes from living like this. Nothing like that happens with Barry Seal. He is, he's a fantastic guy who loves his wife and she loves him and all he wants to do is protect her. And he's trying to make sure that she has enough money later on when the shit hits the fan. And, oh, man, he's just a one hell of a great guy. Uh, you know, I, I think for me throughout throughout the movie, there is no downside to, to Barry Seal. Even in that moment, you kind of feel for him like, well, he, what was he going to do? He had no. He was given no choice by the FBI. Right. He's yeah. Just, he's just yeah. a pawn. He's just a puppet. He, he, you know, has no agency. He's just being, you know, used by all these greater powers that are really the problem. He's just some good fellow who's trying to have fun in the skies. No big I mean, deal. I, I, I could see that, and the movie definitely could have like stressed more the the family issues and him going through multiple marriages. I think would have uh, made that a lot clearer, right? Like the impact this yeah. has on his overall family structure. But at the same time, like I don't. He he just does things right, and when we meet him in this movie, he's already smuggling Cuban cigars. You know, he's already being he's doing criminal things at the beginning, and that you know gets the interest of the CIA, and then he starts. It almost feels like the CIA, in a way, invites him to start being shady and doing things like, oh, you'll figure it out. You'll figure out a way to make more money. They certainly don't seem to have a problem with it. Yeah, yeah, and the movie doesn't quite judge him for it, but at the same time, I think you. As a as a human being with you know a brain of your own, your own sense of moral judgment can be like this is really fucked up. Like what is happening here? And maybe the movie could do a better job of some of those things. But I actually think the way it it in a way kind of glosses it over, or just like it doesn't even judge it. It's just like it's happening. Oh, he's he's trading drugs now. He's trading guns now. He's making a ton of money doing it, so it's successful. Uh, I, I think it's a very like. Uh, that's a very like American, like a very pro-capitalist way of viewing it. But that's also, I think, part of the commentary too, right? Well, it's just like that's how it's what's happening. Comparing it to a movie, you know, like like how we see Leonardo DiCaprio uh, in um, the movie whose name I can't even think Wolf of. Right of Wall, Street. Wall Street. Wall Street. <laughs> I get very little sleep, you guys. Jeff's <laughs> brain is just shutting down as the podcast is, is going on. Much. Yeah. It is much. And and honestly, yeah, 
So I, I got about four hours of sleep last night. Anyway, um, Leonardo DiCaprio's character, yes, all these wonderful things happen to him. He's living a life that you could perceive as being, uh, you know, master of the universe, right? But you see a hollowness to all of it. He has no substantive relationships. Everything is is fraying at the seams. There's a mania to all of that. Nothing like that with Tom Cruise. He's a great dude. He has a strong family life. Everybody likes him. Every employee is fantastic. He protects the people in his life. He doesn't even want to kill that that brother-in-law. He's trying to save the brother-in-law. Oops, he killed him. It's like every yeah. he's a fantastic dude who has no problems until yeah. the very end of this movie. It also like it never I was kind of unclear so he's you know flying to like Nicaragua like every day mm-hmm. how long is he gone like that's something else you don't really get the sense of like you don't even see him like miss a soccer game or like right. you know like there's yeah. no sense of it impacting his family in any way even though he's presumably gone like 90% of the time yeah uh, it, and it, it, does, it just feels doesn't like even Nicaragua is like a hot a hop skip and a jump basically yeah like he yeah. just like I don't know, I was driving down the street or something. It's strange. I will say, you know, something that was... So it sounds like you agree with Jeff's assessment, Lindsay. I do, know, 100%. Yeah. yeah, that was my big a big problem for me also, especially with, you know, I'm glad that they kind of avoided the, like, naggy wife thing because that can be really mm-hmm. uh, annoying and stuff also. But the fact that his wife doesn't really seem to have any kind of commentary on the fact that, like, the money that they're using to buy their, like, mansion is... Yeah. Dirty money, you know. There's no real. You don't see her input at all from any of that, and I like, just find it strange. Even if she uh, was for it, even if she like embraced it, yeah. it would have been good to see like, it or something. Yeah, like if they tried to like make it, she just didn't seem to have an opinion about it at all. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, I, yeah. I did think that scene was a little bit moving when she has all the jewelry on her and she starts like ripping yeah. it off. I did think that was like. That gave me a hint of a of a far better movie that this could have been. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't um, very consistent with who she was before, because she suddenly just then cares about like yeah, like oh, why, why did she put all that stuff on in the first place? Did she really yeah, you know, yeah. Um, exactly. I, I will say another weakness of this film, guys. Donal Gleason. Um, <laughs> it's pronounced Donal. Uh, mm-hmm. I love this guy's work. Ex Machina, The Revenant, Star Wars, The Force Awakens. Uh, great actor. I I thought this is one of my least favorite performances of his. I it's just a think very curious role for him. Yeah. I just think he's he was woefully miscast in this role. Like I, I don't know what they were even going for with that character. All American was, fixer. Yeah, like he's just kind of this Gleason. fixer, like very overconfident, <laughs> swaggery. I just fe- felt like it did not work with this guy's talents. Mm-hmm. Um, and that yeah, was another big part of the the weakness of the movie for me. Like I think if that had been if there if there had been a lot of chemistry between Gleason and yes. Cruz, right. I felt like that could yeah. have worked a little bit better. What did you think, Lindsay, of that character? Yeah, no, I love Donald Gleason. He's one of my favorite actors. Um, and I was re- excited to see this movie almost solely because of him, because I yeah. just think he's really interesting. And um, yeah, he was just a big old nothing for yeah. me. He didn't have any personality. I realized some of that was kind of by design, that he's like, you know, you don't even know his real name and whatever. But yeah, I also just had no idea what they were going for. At first, I thought maybe it was like he's the young guy and it was going to be that kind of thing. But that wasn't really an issue. There were no like mentalities bumping against each other, you know. They didn't have any chemistry as just actors. Um, yeah, it was. It sucked. I think if that had been again, not to keep bringing up Wolf of Wall Street, but you think of like <laughs> Kyle Chandler in that movie and his like antagonism right, kind right. of with Leonardo DiCaprio makes that 
so like much right. more interesting and this just didn't have any it's a of that specific type of charisma actually that's a better tom cruise role that he yeah. is the he well the ages probably wouldn't check out but he would have been like the charismatic cia fixer dude to like yeah. convince some hapless you know idiot to do this work for him yeah i imagine actually thought if, about that if they had like flipped those yeah characters. imagine yeah. if donald gleason and tom cruise had played opposite roles in this movie yeah like yeah. that yeah it might have been a much better film well, uh, Donald Gleason would have been married to someone his own age. That would have been interesting. Well, that was my favorite part of the film is there's this yes. moment in the movie when uh, Caleb Landry Jones, they're like, oh, my gosh, you're dating a 15-year-old. Meanwhile, Tom Cruise's <laughs> wife in this movie, the actress, is 20 years younger than him. Yeah. Um, I yeah. just thought it's a bit rich, I mean, Tom Cruise. She's not 15. <laughs> That's so true. That's true. It's but a little different. But, it's a little different, um, but still a bit rich. I think – Lindsay, you bring up the the youth thing with Donald Gleason, and I, I, that that is the thing that worked for me. I like I got that he was this uh, uh, upwardly mobile uh, kind of ladder climber inside the CIA, and trying, willing to put up with a lot of bullshit that somebody else might not, uh, i.e., illegal activity on the and you know, on the part of his you know prime deliverer of info. Uh, simply because he wanted to wow his superiors and the people that had been around longer than he. I, I, that's what I bought about the casting of him in that role was, you know, he's he's just there trying to deliver the goods and he doesn't care what Tom Cruise does uh, in order to get him the goods because he's just this young kid who's trying to make it all work. Like he doesn't even care about the ramifications. Right. Yeah. I think sometimes it was a, a writing problem too, less than a Donald Gleason problem. Just like... I was always a little unclear of like how much he knew of what Tom Cruise was doing. And yeah, you know, that just, it was not clear to me at all until it starts to kind of click into place a little as it goes along. But yeah. Yeah. And, um, you, you know, there's, there's hints of, uh, of better films in there of better films yeah. in American, you know, you, you bring up Wolf of wall street. Um, but uh, this movie could have also been like a great ensemble film, and yeah. I felt like it almost wanted to be. You know, you know when I realized, right? Yeah. You know when I realized this movie failed at being an ensemble film is in the final sequence of the movie where they do this thing that all biopics do, um, which is it's <laughs> right. like shows you the real life person, or it, it it either shows you a real life photo of the person that you know is depicted in the film. Or it does like the overlaid text and says like you know in real life so and so went on to you know uh, live a good life with two point three kids in or real life it it does like give you that and then they opened a school and or you know <laughs> right they grew up to you know yeah 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 exactly or both it, sometimes it's both it does like the photos of the real life people and the true story um, mm-hmm. but I love the photos of the real life people thing in fact. If a movie is based on real life and doesn't have the photos of the real people at the end, I get actively upset. Yes. Wow. Okay. All right. I, I need that. I need that in my based on a true story movies. I actually I disagree. That. You know, actually, we can have an argument about this, but let me finish my point, Jeff. Um, which is <laughs> no, let's have the argument. No, no, no. no I, I, trust me, Jeff. I want to have the argument, but um, <laughs> and we are going to have the argument. But um, the the thing that uh, made me realize that this movie had fundamentally failed in some way was when uh, at the end of the movie, they, they're like, so-and-so, like Barry Seal's friend, you know, went on to be in prison for blah and became like a preacher or whatever. And I was like, yeah. I don't even know that dude's name. You know, yeah, like, yeah, which one was he? About that yeah. Guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, who right. was that dude? <laughs> yeah, he literally had two scenes and he was like known as Bearded Dude. You yeah, know? Like, it's just like, <laughs> like what? Oh, bearded Dude had a, a life that went beyond the, the, the confines also- of this film. 
I also wonder, I don't know if this is true or not, but I got the sense that maybe something was cut or there was like another storyline because Jesse Clemens was in this movie for like yeah. two minutes. And he's like a pretty big actor. And Lola Kirk was the other actress who's in scenes with him, who's also fairly, she was in Mistress America. And, right, um, why, why would Gone you get Girl. those people unless yeah. there was, it felt Good like point. maybe there was like a three-hour cut of this movie? You know, who knows? Yeah, there, it had to have been, because I don't know why you would just put those people in there to like barely be in it and have no lines, really. I kept so, waiting for that sheriff to sniff out the, the stuff that was going on yeah, inside his town. I, yeah, I thought that's yeah. what was going to happen, too. Especially when I first saw him, I was like, oh, he's going to do something. And then he just like, no. <laughs> really does. <laughs> Let's argue about real life photos at the end of biopics. Lindsay Romaine, <laughs> you have an opinion on this. Um, when it, well, so in this case, um, I think it would be hard because I don't think any of these people even existed. Like Tom Cruise's wife wasn't a real person. <laughs> right. I don't right. know that those guys helping him <laughs> with, from what I understand, the story is pretty different in real life. So, right, right, right. right. I, I mean, if, well, I'm just saying also, generally, not, not necessarily this film, but like generally, I, know, hold on, I have yeah. one more point about that. Oh, is oh, that also the guy who play who Tom Cruise is playing in real life was like a 350 pound man, which the movie just like, <laughs> obviously probably couldn't do. Cause then it, I don't know, it would be a very different movie, but it would be kind of funny if they did do the picture thing mm. in that case. And you'd be like, oh, wow, he was, like, a very large man in real life. <laughs> so um, realistic. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, um, I don't really care, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think if – sometimes it's nice, but sometimes it kind of sucks you out of the movie when you yeah, see them. They it, look it, so different. You're it like, always oh. sucks me out of the movie. Like, yeah. Uh, another movie that had it recently was, like, Argo. Also, we just saw Battle of the Sexes. Yeah. That movie Battle had of the Sexes, yeah. Right, and it's like – I'm just like, oh, every time I see a photo of a real-life person in a biopic, I'm like, oh, right. What we were just watching was a festival of lies. You know, that's right. my that's my reaction. Um, well, usually the actors are like beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> that's the good thing to be reminded of, Dave. Yeah, Jeff Kanata, t- tell us why you're upset if it's not in there. I want to know what those people looked like. I want to know <clears> that thing that they did. Let me Show me a picture of it. Show me uh, what what was it really like? Well, who are they standing around? How close did this movie get to real life circumstances? I I find it I think it's required if you're based on a true story. <laughs> give me that. Give me that picture of the thing. Show me the thing. Uh, I mean, I, I agree with all that stuff you said. I, I like knowing the difference between real life and the movie, but I don't know that like a few photos at the end and some like five sentences of text really communicates all that. You know, it's like so I feel- satisfying though. No, I was just gonna say it's hard to again not like to use this movie as an example when it's not people that really exist or it's like they're not even really playing these people sometimes. So it's I don't know that makes it kind of funky too. Like, no, you know, I, yeah, I actually actually think it does a disservice to real. I think it does a disservice to real life because then it makes you think like, oh yeah, like you know. You just saw this movie. By the way, here is the real thing. Just so you like verisimilitude, like the movie is a pretty accurate representation of what you, you know. What I mean, and I feel like no, it's not. Anyway, I, I feel I, I hate the like, practice. I hate the battle practice. of the battle of the sexes. For example, there's like just a quick moment in that movie with a photo shoot with Bobby Riggs doing that naked thing, and then you get to see the real picture that happened at the end, and you're like, yeah, you really did that. That really happened. That's I, that's the stuff that I need to. I need it. I need to know, oh, that really was a thing that they recreated for the movie. It wasn't just a fabrication of some idea that the writer had in a room. Like, yeah, give me that. Give me that. 
Uh, what's the movie with uh, all the wonderful ladies that worked at NASA? Is the Hidden figures. Hidden, Hidden figures. Hidden figures. Oh, that movie did a great job of that. Like, yeah, they were real ladies. Look, the, look at them. They're standing in front of the place that we just saw them in for the last two hours. Mm. Yeah, that really happened. Look at them. <laughs> all right. I will say I usually go home and Google it anyway, so yeah. maybe I should be. Exactly. That's what I do. Lindsay, yeah. I'm in the same boat yeah. as you. That's exactly how well, I do it. Yeah. It's just removing a step. all right fair enough jeff fair enough all right guys any closing thoughts on american made it sounds like uh it had some some pleasure some thrills but uh none of us were too taken by it unfortunately yeah Uh, i had one more thing to point out um i thought it was kind of weird that there were like the weird like president cameos in the movie where it was like oh here's george w bush and then there's like the weird bill clinton like i don't know they're just like when they yeah, with George W. Bush, where he's in the lobby and he's like, "Junior, <laughs> come in here," and it's like, "Okay, with some yeah, W was around." It was just really distracting. And then the Bill Clinton like on the phone thing. It's like, okay, like, okay, now we know what year this takes place in. I don't know. It was weird. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree. It, it was kind of like out there, but I, I think like the movie is trying. It might not be succeeding, but it's trying to kind of make this argument about American excess, right? And that like tying it. In- more of that kind of thing like throughout it would have been less jarring than like the two times they like ram it in your face <laughs> yeah right. it, it kind of builds up really quickly at the end you know yeah. where, where things get, the shit really hits the fan for this movie and then i kind of wanted more of that and less it, it, of like him wasting time i have to say it was a bizarre ending you know i thought it was a yeah. bizarre ending yeah. where um they don't even show his execution like that was a thing that really it, it actually kind of bothered me because i felt like mm-hmm. if the movie's making an argument about that's where I really felt like the movie was amoral, Jeff, was if you're going to yeah. show this guy kind of pissing off all these drug lords and stuff, there are horrible consequences of that. Namely, an awful death uh, alone in a parking lot. Like, that's that's what's going to happen to this guy. And uh, I felt like uh, the movie didn't show that. It cut away before he was executed. And it made it seem almost – it showed almost none of the downside of – of the drug trade, and that that was a big disappointment. Yeah. I'm I'm okay I with agree. you saying like, hey, it's amazing. But even like Wolf of Wall Street, like you see how it's like destroying his family again. Jeff, I'm, I, I guess I'm coming over to your side now. You know, like yeah. with good good fellas, <laughs> it's like it shows you know uh, how it's like destroying his family life as well, and and um, all the effects it has on his health and stuff. You know, like um, this movie didn't show any of the downsides, and that was kind of um, I just found it a bizarre decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, his um, wife even think... seemed happy at the end. <laughs> like when yeah. it cuts to her, she's like just happily wearing her jewelry. So yeah. she's like, I, I love yeah. working at KFC. Yeah, um, <laughs> she's like super psyched, apparently. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the other thing is, they make such a huge deal of those VHS tapes, and then we get yeah. no, no closure on what happened to them, <laughs> if they had any relevance. Like the whole movie is framed inside these tapes, and we assume that someone's going to find them at the end, but there's no. <laughs> We get no well, they do find them. Clues. They do find them, but then it's like, well, well what? Them. What happens as a result right. of that? Like yeah. nothing. It's right. Really they already know everything. Yeah. So. Like, well, are we watching these because no one else did? Yeah. <laughs> or... <laughs> I don't know. It is really weird. It is really weird. Anyway, American Made, uh, not as good as Live Die Repeat, unfortunately, um, but it's out in theaters right now, and I would say. Of The Mummy and Jack Reacher Never Go Back, it is the least <laughs> bad of those three films. It right? is the least bad, but probably wait for uh, – watch, watch it at home. You know, yeah, wait, wait, for the, wait for yeah. it to be at home and mm-hmm. also wait for Mission Impossible 6, which 
I'm guessing is going to be the last time Tom Nothing Cruise can... can go wrong with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing can go Nothing. wrong with Vision Impossible 6. Uh, all right. Find more episodes of this podcast at SlashFilmCast.com. Email us at SlashFilmCastGmail.com. Our theme song comes from AdamWarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker Kyle Hillinger. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be reviewing next week. In the meantime, Lindsay Romaine, where can people find more of your work on the internets this week? Yeah, you can follow me at Lindsay Romaine uh, on Twitter, uh, just first and last name. Um, I'm also covering American Horror Story this season for Thrillist. Um, and then I'll be at Slash Film and a bunch of other places. Just check my Twitter. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about you, Jeff Kanata? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. And I have several other shows, including two video game shows. I have a daily video game show, just 10 minutes a day, keeps you up to date. It's called Newest, Latest, Best. You can find it on iTunes or Google Play Music, anywhere you find podcasts. Or you can find it on Anchor, which is at anchor.fm slash NLB. I have a weekly video game show called DLC. We just recorded our 200th episode Congrats. of DLC this week. Thank you very much. Uh, that's at 5x5.tv slash DLC. And I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns that you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. How about you, Devendra Hardwar? Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra, and I write about tech and gadget.com. All right, and find all of my stuff at DaveChen.net. I'm also on Twitter at DaveChensky. That's DaveChenSKY. Next week, we're going to be reviewing the new Denis Villeneuve movie, Blade Runner 2049. Really psyched. You guys have already seen this movie, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Really excited. I'll probably be seeing it before again before the review. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I did have that theory, that, that way of interpreting Denis Villeneuve's movies, um, take the title of any Denis Villeneuve movie, uh, put it in the following sentence, but who's the real blank? That is uh-huh. the theme of said movie. It still um, works. Which, who's the real arrival? Yeah, who's yeah. the real arrival? People keep saying that to me as though that doesn't actually make sense. In no, I know. I know it, but I think yeah. it does. It still stands. I think it maybe, totally maybe works. What is the real what arrival? What is the real arrival? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, but it, um, it works. Who is the real Blade Runner 2049? It makes more works. sense than you think. I just, yeah, I wish the 2049 wasn't in there. But yeah, who's the real enemy? Who's the real prisoner? Um, I, I love all this guy's movie. I, I kid because I yeah. love all this guy's movies, um, even prisoners. So, uh, all right, guys, lots to look forward to next week. Thanks for listening to the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. We'll see you later. This is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favourite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Who exploded Vivian Stone? Was it Screen Hunk McSalad? Mother's Digest called me dependably erotic. Leading lady Joanna Shoebags. Oh, you call me dramatic again, I will die! First time director Wallace Byrne Matravers. I think I'll just keep my clothes on for now. Assistant director Laura Side Salad. If I can help you direct this film, I can certainly help direct your winker. Technician James Wiggington. You've got a funny way of addressing a man holding a power drill. Or someone else entirely. Listen in to find out who exploded Vivian Stone. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from the UK and around the world. 
Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.